power on. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sodrin. The Man of Tomorrow is here for the Gaming Grid, and baby, oh, I, I love getting to do this show, <laughs> because it's so nice to be excited about things again, you know what I mean? I feel like I have to constantly just lay out downers on, uh, you know, on Sovereign Tech, but no, when it comes to the Gaming Grid, it's time for the good times, and even, well, Hard and Fast Podcasts, I get to do that as well. Uh, Sovereign Trek, I used to think, well, that's always going to be a great time, because Star Trek's doing great, and, well, anyway... <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, TIE Fighter Renegades, always a little, little touch and go whether or not the things are doing all right. But the gaming grid, we get to just talk about games. Um, and I'll tell you, I actually have something special coming up later on in this episode of the gaming grid. Actually get a great, uh, well, we get a review of the Oculus Quest from a Zomia One executive producer. Can you believe that? I, <laughs> I am so excited for this. I can't wait to, I can't wait for you to hear this audio. It's it, phenomenal. So I haven't gotten my hands yet on the, uh, on the Oculus quest. Um, I was a little late to the game on getting the pre-order and now they're backed up for like a couple months. So anyway, that, that, that's, that's going to take some time. I'll, I'll get one later in the year and then maybe they'll have more episodes of the Vader game out by that point anyway, which is really, I mean, because again, I'm personally, I'm fine with the Oculus Go, which I still have and use. Um, you know, the, the Star Wars stuff is sort of what sold me. And that's, if you've heard, well, I don't know where, I know I've talked about this recently. Maybe I was talking about it on the last gaming grid. Anyway, it's Star Wars always sells me on new tech platforms, right? Uh, not that it took Star Wars to get me to buy a DVD player, but I know for a lot of people, that's what they waited for, is when the Star Wars trilogy came out on a DVD player, they got it. I remember the first time I bought my own VHS uh, player, I bought my own VCR, was when I got the uh, the 96 uh, you know VHS set in widescreen. Um, I mean, and for a lot of games, like what finally would get me onto that console was the Star Wars game. I mean, the GameCube, I totally, totally jumped on the GameCube. As good a game's... As Luigi's Mansion were, you know, and, and I mean, there's plenty of great games on the GameCube. Uh, you know, Rogue Squadron 2 totally sold me on that system. That's why I wanted it that bad. Uh, so Star Wars does that. And the Oculus Quest, well, it's kind of doing it for me again. But regardless of that, um, we have a lot to get into uh, in this episode of The Gaming Grid. Speaking of games out, uh, Sigil finally fucking came out. Finally. And what's nice is you can download Sigil. So for those that don't know, Sigil is John Romero. Of course, a few years ago, he made a couple of new levels for Doom. Of course, John Romero and John Carmack, they're kind of the big guys behind Doom. John Carmack, of course, also the head of Oculus, which is why I still somewhat trust Oculus, because uh, as long as Carmack's there, I, I think he's an honest guy. And as long as he's there, Zuckerberg isn't digging in too much. But you know, even though it's a Facebook-owned company now. Regardless of that, uh, John Romero, of course, is the other guy behind Doom, and John Romero has, you know, dalliance in, you know, new levels in the past with uh, with the classic game Doom. Um, now he's released a pretty much, I mean, not just new levels, but like a whole other campaign, basically, uh, which is called Sigil. And this was announced early or later on in 2018. It has finally come out. Um, I ended up, I, I had pre-ordered one of the box sets. So, you know, I'm hooked up with that, but you can download it for free. I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember. Also, Buckethead did the soundtrack for this. And for anybody who listens to the Hard and Fast podcast, you know who Buckethead is. I mean, just a tremendous guitarist. Uh, and he did the soundtrack for this, but to play the game with Buckethead soundtrack, you have to actually buy the game, but it's great. It's like six, six, or it was like, it's six, 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 not dollars. It's six euros and 66 cents. However you say that in Europe, um, 
but that that's what it costs to play the game with Buckethead soundtrack. But if you just want to play the levels, you can download them uh, for free. I've checked it out a little bit, you know, hooked it up in GZ Doom and did the business and uh, hot damn. <laughs> it's pretty cool, though. I'll tell you, I'm not so. Romero came right out and said that these levels were designed without you having the ability to jump. GZ Doom, which is not really an emulator exactly, but GZ Doom will let you add in the ability to jump into like previous Doom games uh, as they originally were. I've gotten so used to that over the years that it was, I tried playing without jumping and it's a little weird. But I do understand why Romero said that. So anyway, Sigil's out there. You're going to want to check that out. I mean, it, it's already what, what little I've played of it is a great time and really, really slick design. I mean, and it's worth... Buckethead soundtrack is awesome. Um, I love... I think Buckethead's amazing. You pro, it's. I think it's worth putting down the money for on this. Though I'm sure you could probably find it on a, on a handy-dandy torrent site um, somewhere. But regardless of that, so Sigil's out there. That's important to bring up. Uh, let's talk. This is this is a little bit of an interesting story here. So one of my favorite game franchises uh, and, you know, longtime Sovereign Tech listeners or Gaming Grid listeners or Q&A listeners, you know the deal, uh, is Gradius. In fact, you know, I, I put Gradius 5 in some of the greatest, you know, in, in my like top 10 lists or top 8 lists of greatest games ever made. Um, it's that good. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of that whole series. It is so slick. By the way, what another thing that just came out, uh, Konami is doing their whole Konami Classics line, right? Like they have the, there's the Castlevania collection that just came out. It came out for, let's see, I, I think for every system, but for Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and it's on Steam, but they have a good selection of Castlevania games on there. But more interestingly, I, I know they're going to have a Contra collection come out as well, but the most interesting one is the Arcade Classics collection that Konami put out, which has quite a few Gradius games on it with their original you know, arcade editions where Gradius is called Nemesis. Then there's, I keep forgetting what Gradius 2 is called. It's Vulcan something. Um, and then, you know, you have Salamander, right, which would end up becoming Life Force. And there's a bunch of really, really cool games in that collection. They're like 20 bucks a pop. It's a little expensive considering a lot of people could play all this action on MAME. But it's it's out there. Anyway, love the Gradius games. Um, there is a guy uh, out of Brazil, actually, a programmer, uh, Vitor Villela. I don't know if I pronounce his name right but anyway i'll put a link in the show notes for this um he's he's a rom hacker basically and he came up with this brilliant little idea and this has to do with gradius uh because one of the well uh, i mean a major selling point for the snes believe it or not some of that was porting of arcade games i mean you could think of some classics that got ported onto there that people played the shit out of turtles in time uh, for one but one of them was actually gradius 3 However, when this was ported <laughs> to the Super Nintendo, anybody that actually played it, I remember playing it, the game, I mean, it was just a massive disappointment because the game would just slow down to a crawl. It would be so bad, especially when you get into those levels with a lot of the bubbles and everything. I mean, it was practically unplayable. And this was this game, Gradius 3 for SNES, was a major, major selling point, really, for the SNES. I mean, there was a lot of marketing around this. I don't know. I have no idea how the hell they let this game out. You know, Konami let this game out as is uh, way, way back in the 90s. Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't grasp it. I don't understand. But whatever. Anyway, uh, uh, Vitor, he, he ended up, he did this really, really clever trick. Basically, he reverse engineered the SA1 chip. Okay. Now the SA1 chip was a processor. Now, okay, let me let me tell you what it's similar to. Then this will save me a lot of time. The SA1 chip is similar to the Super FX chip. Do you remember the Super FX chip? This is a chip that was put in games like Star Fox that allowed for the Super Nintendo to do a whole hell of a lot more as far as graphics processing. Uh, and in the case of Star Fox, you know, you had like these full-on polygon 3D graphics, right? Uh, well, more or less full-on. But it allowed for that because the Super Nintendo would take advantage of the chip inside of the cartridge. So you didn't have to buy a whole new Super Nintendo. You could just buy a game, not to say it was cheap to make a cartridge this, with this in it, but you could buy a cartridge that had a coprocessor in it, like the Super FX chip, 
that could give the Super Nintendo and its adjoining game, you know, all new capabilities. So another chip, like the Super FX, that wasn't the only one. There was also the SA-1 chip. And this is something that Vitor worked on. He kind of reverse engineered it and basically baked in the SA-1 chip into the ROM of Gradius, of Gradius, of Gradius 3, okay? I mean, he didn't put like a physical chip on it. It's just a ROM. He just added in the code and then the emulator is able to take advantage, okay, of the code base of the SA-1 chip into Gradius 3. Now, there's, I mean, apparently this took months to bake it into the ROM of of Gradius 3. But Vitor was very proud of this, and he just comes around and says, you know, the SA-1 pro- or era begins. Basically saying is that, while it might not be easy to do, it'll be very time-consuming, but any games that had certain loading flaws or that would experience slowdown uh, for the SNES, you could now bake in SA-1 processor code, and then it'll just work like a dream, you know, and, and it'll go. And there's uh, link is in the show notes. There's plenty of video to show where the differences between like Gradius three running the original ROM or the original cartridge, how it would run in the Super Nintendo as compared to how it runs now with SA one chip code added. And I mean, oh fuck, it's amazing. And it totally, totally playable. It's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. So well done. I mean, it only took what 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> since Gradius 3 came out uh, to finally, you know, make this game play right. The beautiful thing is, like many Super Nintendo games, is that they're very evergreen. You know, I mean, and people learned this when they picked up the SNES Classic, is that these games, super, a lot of Super Nintendo games play just as well today. And in this case, with the SA-1 code, even better. But they, they play as in they're, enjoy, they're just as enjoyable today as they were back in the, you know, in the 90s. Uh, so this is really cool. I mean, bravo, you know, I mean, hand clap for, for Vitor on this because fucking A. So I'm, I'm interested to see what other games, uh, end up getting to, you know, end up getting, end up taking advantage uh, of this. But I thought, boy, that was a, a goddamn great move. Um, anyway, uh, another little update to, to get into that. I can't wait for it. Supposedly by the end of the month, I'm probably going to do, I will probably do two uh, gaming grids in the month of June because Google's going to have their big Stadia announcement in just a couple of days, uh, and so you know I, I want to be really I want to be on top of on top of that, uh, and then also you know so we can talk because I think Google Stadia is just going to be a massive massive deal in gaming, um, but also the. Retro Games Limited, who are the guys behind the C64 Mini, the Mini Commodore 64 that I just love, um, they put out another update actually today of this recording uh, showing off the box artwork and a lot of other stuff for uh, for the full-size C64 that they are going to uh, release supposedly this year. And supposedly by the end of the month, they're going to have a ton more details on this. Uh, so I'm excited to, you know, to hear what those details are. I'm excited for all of that. Um, you know, because this is the system that I really, I mean, I really want the system. I love the C64 mini, but it'll be great to have like the working keyboard and have everything really be that plug and play. If they wanted to add more USB ports, I'd be on board with that. You can't see, like, it's kind of a grainy picture, and I imagine it's on purpose. I put a link in the show notes for it where you can see it. It's kind of a grainy picture of the full-size version of it, probably because they don't want you to see all the details. But I'll tell you, one of the main things I really am hoping for is more uh, more USB ports added on to, to the C64. That way, you're not, you don't have to use a hub to connect a keyboard and, you know, in two controllers, right? Because I often run with that setup on it. And right now I do have a little four port hub that I can plug into it. And I'm glad that that works so well, but there's really no reason on a full size C64 to not just add in, you know, have four USB ports or whatever, just go nuts. So very excited that that is coming down, uh, very quickly. And I, you know, as soon as they give us more details on that, I'll let you know about them. And I can't wait to get my hands on one of these babies. Uh, in fact, maybe I can get somebody from the team over at Retro Games Limited, get them interviewed on the show. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, now for kind of the, for me on my end, of course, we have the Oculus Quest review coming up. Um, but on my end, 
I'm very excited, or, you know, this is kind of my big story uh, for this episode of The Gaming Grid, and that is we finally have a full listing for the Genesis Mini, uh, for Sega's Genesis Mini, which is going to be coming out end of September this year, 2019. We finally know all the games. In fact, we were originally told there's going to be 40 games. Now it's actually 42 games. I don't know whose decision that was. But not only is it going to be 40, actually, it's going to be more than that, because like we talked about in the last gaming grid, um, or no, it wasn't in the gaming grid. We talked about it. There was a Zomia 1 Underground episode. It's only for Underground members. That was uh, my top eight Sega Genesis games of all time. And in that, there was a big conversation had, you know, around a lot of this stuff. But one of the things that surprised me was that Mega Man The Wily Wars is one of the games that's going to be one of one of the games that's going to be on the Genesis Mini, um, because that's one of my top eight. But I didn't think anybody would even really remember that one. And as I talked about on that Underground episode, again, you got to be got to be part of the Zomia One Underground to, to do that. Go to zomia1.com and get your hookup, okay, to to hear that episode. But what surprised me, like in in America, that was never a game. I didn't play that until it was on emulators, okay. And it's basically like. 16-bit versions of the first three Mega Man games, which I think, you know, a lot of people say are the really great games. Um, Most people say Mega Man 2 is the greatest Mega Man game of all time. I would argue against that. I think Mega Man 3 is the greatest Mega Man game of all time. But you get all of them on that one cartridge or, you know, on that one game. And so really you have, actually you have like 44 games it might end up even being more than that because some of these might have, you know, I don't know, some kind of mini game or hidden games or something within them. Um, but this is a pretty interesting, now that we have the full list and there's actually another little bit to the story that I want to talk about, some accessories that are coming out for the Genesis Mini that are very interesting. We're going to talk about both of them here, but I'm going to say this right at the beginning, right at the onset of my review here um, for the gaming grid. And that is, I want one of these. I didn't think I'd want this. Like, I, I really didn't. And I know, actually, I think I said it during the Sovereign Top 8. I said, if X-Men or Jurassic Park are on the system, I'll get it in a second. Now, neither of those are in this list. But, but, what is in this list is, I mean, there's there is some there are some real gems here. And some uh, are, are, are kind of mysterious. And I'll, and I'll explain as we go down the list. Uh, I mean, some are very, very interesting what, what ends up uh, ending up on here. So the game list for the different territories, like in Japan, it's a different game list um, as compared to what's getting released in North America. And I think Europe is different from even that. Uh, but let's go down the list here of the 42 games that will be coming out. Again, the Genesis Mini is going to be $80 coming out September 19th. I know some people are a little pissed off and think it's kind of ugly that to get a six-button controller, you have to buy the separate controller from Retrobet, and you have, you want to get the USB one, okay? Um, I hear you that that's kind of shitty because some of these games do require the six-button controller. I know there's a way that you can make like a six-button command on a three-button Genesis controller, but you really shouldn't have to do that. Um, I really do understand where people are coming from on that one. Um, but, you know, it's handy to have all of these fucking Genesis controllers laying around. So, anyway, it may, you know, honestly, maybe things will change. Maybe, because clearly there's already been some changes in the fact that we're getting more than 40 games. Not just because Wily Wars is three games, but because they added on a couple more. So maybe there will be a mind change and they'll say, no, you know what, actually you're all going to get the six-button controller. I wish they'd do that. I don't know that they're going to. Anyway, Sega here, of course, all of this is being done by M2, who are behind the incredible Sega Ages uh, uh, releases, particularly for the Nintendo Switch lately of classic games. Um, So we know we're in for a great time as far as software, or at least we're at least how the games get presented, how the like menu and the overall system gets presented might be another story. We won't know until people start getting their hands on it. But regardless, um, let's go down this list of 42 games, and then we have a little accessory action to talk about, which I think that that's actually very interesting. So here we go. Um, and this is very fresh news. Uh, they just dropped this this week. So uh, let's see. Number, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog, 20 of these we knew about and we've talked about, but now we have the full 42. So Sonic the Hedgehog 1, of course, that makes sense. Echo the Dolphin, 
easy inclusion, right? I mean, it's just one of the best games ever made. Uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, nice, nice little addition. You have a Castlevania game there. Space Harrier 2, one of my favorite Genesis games, totally worthwhile being on there. Shining Force, absolute classic. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. You're not going to say this quickly. Like, it, it's a good game, maybe even a great game, but I don't know if it's still a good game and still a great game because I haven't played this in forever. And I don't know if it would be just as appealing and as interesting and as fun and quirky as it was back then. But whatever, it's there. Because a couple games you're going to notice that aren't on here are Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles. Sonic 3, and you'd say, like, wow, I'd rather have Sonic 3 than have Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Yeah, me too. Sonic 3, of course, has the rights issue around the fact that Michael Jackson did the soundtrack for that. And you've got to get the rights to that music and you're going to run into an issue with that. Like, just like I'm not surprised that Jurassic Park and X-Men aren't on here because those are two very hot properties, two very hot rights issues that you're going to have to work around. I mean, this is one of the major issues where we all pay for the bullshit that is IP law. But anyway, regardless, I wouldn't have minded a different game being in here than Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, but whatever. Okay, we'll continue on. Toe Jam and Earl, classic. Comic Zone, of course. Uh, Altered Beast, yeah, you kind of have to have that. Gunstar Heroes, classic. Earthworm Jim, why the fuck not? Sonic the Hedgehog 2, yeah, absolute classic. Has to be there. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, Sonic 3 I think people can live without, but Sonic 2, when they first got to play with Tails, I mean, everybody went nuts with that. Uh, Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, total classic. World of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, another total classic. Contra Hardcore, nice addition right there. Thunder Force 3, another nice addition. Super Fantasy Zone, sure. Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master, essential. Streets of Rage 2, you already know the score. And I mean, literally, you know the score is in the music, right? The music for Streets of Rage 2 is so far ahead of its time. It's one of the best dance albums you ever listened to in your life. That's no joke. I mean, the music for that game is phenomenal, and it's also great gameplay. So nice addition, of course, to Streets of Rage 2. That was kind of a no-brainer. Uh, Landstalker? Interesting. Mega Man The Wily Wars. First time this is going to be, quote, or more or less the first time. I think At Games might have included it on something, but more or less the first time this was available um, to the North American audience. Okay, now it was on Sega Channel. I talked all about this in my Sovereign Top 8 of Genesis games, so you don't have to email me. I know. But anyway, the it was available on the on Sega Channel on the Genesis, but it was never released as a cartridge. So this is kind of a home release for that the first time in North America. Anyway, Street Fighter 2 Special Champion Edition. You have to have a Street Fighter game on there. Ghouls and Ghosts, fantastic. Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle, sure. Beyond Oasis, huge. Golden Axe, absolutely. Weird, though, that Golden Axe 2 isn't on here. And that's going to be a bit of a theme. There's a lot of sequels that are fantastic that don't run into the rights issue like Sonic 3 does that I'm intrigued that they're not included and it makes me wonder. But let me continue. Uh, Fantasy Star 4, The End of the Millennium. That is this, that's the only Fantasy Star game to make it on the system. But I think it's the right one. Like, if you're going to put any Fantasy Star game on there, that's the one to do it. Because I think that's the best. It's still the best Fantasy Star game. It's even better than Fantasy Star Zero. Uh... I love that game. It's one of my favorite games of all time. So nice inclusion on that one. That one, that that definitely gets me interested. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog Spinball, sure. Uh, Vector Man, that's a great inclusion. No Vector Man 2, though. Uh, that's interesting. Wonder Boy and Monster World. Yeah, okay. Tetris. Now this, this was a shocker. And I, I mean, like, you know, put up the three fingers. This is a shocker. Okay, Tetris. Now, not only is this, this is actually an all-new version of Tetris. I don't exactly understand what the deal is here. Because it's not some, like, weird version of Tetris that never got released for the Genesis or something. This is apparently an all-new Genesis game, must be getting developed by M2, uh, that is going to end up getting put on the Genesis. This is one of the things that made me suddenly go, oh... Maybe I do want this. Maybe I will purchase this. And you can pre-order this thing now. I mean, you know, and you're guaranteed to get it when it comes out. You're not going to have to deal with any of Nintendo's horse shit like what happened with the NES Classic or the SNES Classic. But yeah, we don't know a whole ton around this game of Tetris, but it is apparently a completely new game. That's that's the information that's being presented right now. Uh, now, here's where the other interesting game comes in, and that's Darius. 
not Tetris, but Darius. Darius was, I think, like an arcade game that did get ported in Japan to the Mega Drive, to you know, to Genesis. But then, but it never made it to America. But now it's coming here. And then, not only that, but it's a much improved port. It's a very interesting port. And it looks a lot like... There have been talk talk about this on the internet. I said that on purpose. There's talk about like this on, on the internet uh, about or about the fact that this looks like there was a fan port done of Darius that was released as a ROM, and the two look very much alike. Which a lot of people are wondering about that. But this is basically a new game for North for a lot of North American gamers in a very real way. Uh, so Darius is, a, is an interesting uh, inclusion. It's a bit of a shmup. I love shmups. Maybe my favorite genre, I, I, I think, of games. I might have to jump on that just for this one even. Um, anyway, we'll move on from those. Those are the two very interesting ones in this. Uh, but then we get Road Rash 2. Yeah, that makes sense. That was very popular, uh, very popular stuff. Strider. Yeah, that's cool to have Strider on there. Admittedly, the uh, Capcom's uh, retro console that they're releasing in October of this year, that's going to have Strider on it as well, and that's going to have like the full-on arcade version of Strider. Going to be a far superior port, obviously. Um, in fact, actually, I you know speaking of that, speaking of the camp, the Capcom console retro console that's coming out. So I talked about this, I think, in the last gaming grid. Very very exciting release. I am totally getting my hands on that. Uh, I mean, I will jump on that, do whatever it takes to get my hands on one of those babies. Um, because it'll be the first time that Alien vs. Predator is actually available in the home, quote-unquote, legally. Uh, and I think that's just one of the greatest games ever made, straight up. But apparently that system, and I, I don't know how I feel about this, but I'm intrigued. But the Capcom console is going to be able to connect to the Internet because there's going to be like leaderboards and you're going to be able to compete and everything. Now, some are speculating that, I mean, and that's not a weird move for Capcom at all, but now some are speculating that actually that might mean also that you can download new game packs or buy new games on it. That system just got a little more interesting. Admittedly, that kind of goes against, or that goes against what I love about the retro consoles is that you just plug them in, they're one and done, no connectivity to the internet whatsoever, and you just go. But I, I want, you know, if, if it means we can get more games, there's a part of me that, that becomes very interested in what Capcom would do with internet connectivity on their retro console. So that's something to look out for. Anyway, Strider's going to be one of the games that'll, that will definitely be on that, but that's also going to be on the Genesis Mini as we continue down this list. Virtual Fighter 2 is going to be on here. Um, this is an interesting game for a few different reasons. And as far as I understand, this is the Genesis version of it, not the 32X port of Virtual Fighter 2. Um, the Genesis version of, of Virtual Fighter 2, now Vir the Virtual Fighter series is well known. Even in the 90s, there was, it was an arcade fighting game series, you know, just like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. Uh, but it was a 3D one and like heavy, heavy use of polygons. Um, and, you know, just, I mean, it's like Tekken. Tekken was a little smoother, though. Virtua Fighter, like, seemed to really just embellish and, and appreciate and just relish being, you know, it, it, it just loved the polygon, right? <laughs> and, and it used it to its height. I always thought that Virtua Fighter looked so futuristic. In fact, Virtua Fighter 1, to this day, I still think looks like the video game of the future, even though I know now, you know, you can make games where you couldn't even dream of seeing the polygons, you know, within the graphics. But I don't know, there's something about Virtua Fighter 1 that I just love. Anyway, Virtua Fighter 2, great game in its own right, especially in the arcade. I played it often. Um, but they kind of turned it's a 3D game, obviously, but they sort of turned it into a 2D fighter for the Genesis, but somehow it worked. And so I thought that was a really interesting inclusion on here. Um, but it is the Genesis version, not the 32X version, which tried to continue with the 3D of it. But anyway, regardless, that's here. Let's keep going. Uh, Alicia Dragoon. Interesting game to add. Great game. Interesting game to add there. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some deep cuts on this that I think people are going to end up really loving. Uh, next one is Kid Chameleon. Sure. Monster World 4. Why the hell not? Here's one that surprised. And, you know, actually, I'll, let me, I'm going to skip ahead. The last, we got the last four here. 
So columns, okay, sure. Uh, you know, similar to Tetris in its own right. Uh, Dynamite Heady, okay. Light Crusader, okay, fine. Here's the last one. And this one, this this is the one that actually, I mean, Tetris and Darius were very interesting. Having Fantasy Star 4 there is great. I mean, there's a lot of games here that I think are very worthwhile and a lot of fun to play. Road Rash 2 is actually a real sleeper hit on this. I mean, it was a big deal when it came out. But here's the game where I was like, oh, you know, this is one that I, I, I wouldn't mind owning on a system. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, I look, I already have all these in ROMs and stuff, and I can do that. But to do the plug and play, you know the score. It's so cool. And actually, with the accessories that we're going to talk about in a minute, it might be even more interesting. But here we go. So this game, this was a total surprise to me. It didn't make my top eight. It easily would have been in my sovereign top ten of Genesis games, greatest Genesis games of all time. Um, one of my, so kind of my top um, genres of gaming that I love. Uh, my first, I love shmups. I love uh, RTS, you know, real-time strategy. And underneath that, I mean, it, it, it's always a toss-up between, like, some role-playing games. Like, JRPGs I really like, if we just want to be specific like that. But fighting games, I'm a, I am a fan. Of course, a lot of people know some of my stories about, you know, when I would do tournament play for Mortal Kombat. Did very well with that. Um, there's times where I still think about jumping back in on those tournaments. And, you know, who knows, maybe doing a little money. But whatever. Um, anyway, love a good fighting game. This was one of my favorites as a kid, and that is Eternal Champions. I was stunned for this game to, to show up on this list. Uh, I mean, it was a game that was heavily, heavily advertised when it initially came out in the 90s, um, but I don't know that many people that actually played it. I played it nonstop. Hell, I didn't just play it on the console. I thought Eternal Champions was so cool. Like, I remember my, uh, at the time, of course, I was very young, but my, at the time, my best friend, um, she and I, we would, we, you know, we'd role play a lot, whatever. And, and we, I mean, we lived, it was just kind of out in the sticks and everything, you know, and, and we just, you know, we'd pretend to be this character or this character or whatever. And when Eternal Champions came out, we both loved this game so much. We would, uh, you know, like role play the characters and everything and have, you know, live out little storylines and all this shit when we were playing. Again, just kids, just having fun. I mean, but that's how much I fucking loved Eternal Champions. That That's how cool I thought this game was. Uh, and so for that to be on here, that just about puts me over the edge. I mean, I think any of us has plenty of time to wait for this to see what's going to happen. Because I think you're going to be able to pre-order it probably right up into September. And you're pretty much guaranteed to get one on release day. Okay, and because Sega's doing this right, uh, as, as far as we can tell anyway. Uh, but this is that that is a nice list of 42. And again, technically at least 44 with uh, Mega Man Wily Wars. And those are worth playing. Like that, that Mega Man set is totally worth worth getting the system for, um, if you want to do it the the you know the easy plug and play and quote unquote legal way. Um, of course, you know I'm an anarchist, so I don't really care. But you know if you want to, if you do care, if you want the sort of thing, that's that's the way to do it. So it's a great selection of games. That's a lot of games. That puts it. I think that a, no, it doesn't give you as many games as the C64. I was going to say, this puts it over the top as far as offering the most bang for the buck. And having 42 games, I mean, does make that $80 price tag, it makes a little more sense. Again, the fact that they're not including uh, the, you know, the six-button controllers, that kind of sucks because ultimately you're going to pay like 120 bucks to do this system right. But interestingly in that, so I think that I basically I'm saying I think the system's worth the money and I think the selection of games is very well done. They have clearly learned from the mistakes. They've learned from the successes of Nintendo in the retro console space and they have learned from the mistakes of Sony. That's very clear. I'm glad that Sega waited to do this. But now they're going to do something different. They're going to do something very interesting here. I don't know, nobody knows whether or not this is going to go happen anywhere outside of Japan. But Sega is actually releasing accessories for the Genesis Mini. Now, I think that this is really cool. Go all out. I mean, this is one of the things people love, you know, when a new Nintendo system comes out. Is you have, you know, all the different, like, Legend of Zelda cases that you can put your system into. Um, or, you know, there's all the, there's this huge accessory, uh, uh, you know, industry around a console, right? I mean, it, that's kind of changed. And certainly in the PS4 and Xbox One space, I don't think it's as big of a deal. But this used to be a huge deal in the 90s. 
Now, what's interesting is, is that they are selling, Sega is going to offer, at least in Japan, and we don't know if this is going to be like more limited edition or what, but they are selling basically a stack that you can, um, you can put the Genesis Mini onto that looks like the Sega CD and the 32X, as well as it'll have like a Sonic cartridge at the top inserted into the 32X. So it'll be a mini version of what you created, <laughs> you know, in the night that, you know, the, the Frankenstein's monster that was the Genesis really family uh, that you had in the nineties. Now, I, the sad part is, I don't know if this is going to come to America. Reason I say that is, is that in Japan, you had the mega CD and that attached at the bottom of the system. As to where in America, you had it was called the Sega CD instead of the Mega CD. And the Sega CD sat, was it to the right, if I remember? It sat to the right of the system. And so you're not really going to get that stack. But honestly, if they sold it even as is with the Japanese version of it, with the Mega CD on the bottom instead of the Sega CD to the right, and you, know, and you still have that 32X at the top, I'd still buy it. I'd buy this accessory. They could sell that for like a good 40 bucks or hell, they could they could put almost any price tag on that and I'd be willing to get my hands on it. And there's a link in the show notes you can take a look and it looks so cool. I mean, I know how ridiculous it, I know because I played it. I had to do it, okay? I did all the bullshit to make sure that I could play Star Wars Trilogy on the 32X or that I could, uh, you know, edit music videos with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, right, on my Sega CD. I, I did it all. I know how much of a pain in the ass it was. Okay, but I didn't care, goddammit. And, but there, there's just, there's something, you know, you're totally selling on nostalgia and to just go that extra mile with the nostalgia, I, I, I think it's a winner. I think it's a brilliant idea. I hope Sega releases this internationally and it's not just some limited edition thing that they're doing in Japan. I really hope this makes the rounds. Uh, and I, I think it looks really slick. And so I say that, the reason I bring this up is that for Sega to count on you to want to buy a six-button controller from another company like Retrobit or whatever, who is, I mean, and it's officially licensed from Sega, understand, and Retrobit does good work. I've bought from them in the past. Uh, they're, they're creating a market around this console, and that's kind of the first time anybody's really done that. I mean, the you know, like SNK's, you know, the, the Neo Geo Mini, that sort of had it where you could put different stickers on the arcade cabinet and there were screen protectors that you could put on the little two-inch uh, uh, screen on the actual retro console. Uh, I mean, so they kind of did that. And yeah, people have sold cases that you can put these systems into. I know I've bought them all. Um, but the idea of having like somewhat practical or should I say somewhat more purposeful accessories for retro consoles. This is an interesting experiment and I want to see where this goes. So I'm actually very supportive and I mean, way more supportive than I thought I was going to be over the, uh, you know, over the Genesis mini because a, the game list is brilliant. And also we're getting entirely new games on it. Uh, or at least games that have never really been available in North America. Again, the lists are different in different uh, territories. But we're getting new games, like the, the Tetris game is a new game. Um, Darius is something that wasn't available for before. Uh, and arguably for a lot of people, I think Mega Man The Wily Wars wasn't something they ever had gotten their hands on unless they had Sega Channel. Uh, so that, that gets interesting. So I like those inclusions. I like some of the deep cuts that are being put on this, you know, fan favorites uh, that maybe didn't sell the biggest, but, you know, have, have real longevity. Uh, in gameplay. And then I love this idea of the accessories. And even if you have to get shit from Retrobit, I mean, honestly, Retrobit, they do such great work. Give them some fucking money, <laughs> you know, like go ahead. It, it's okay. You know, I love supporting these cottage industries. I really do. I, I think it's, I, I, it's just, it's one of the best things. If there's any good thing that the internet has done, it's the ability to support these little cottage industries, these little passion projects, which a lot of these retro companies like Analog, Retrobit, even Hyperkin and so on, that's really what they are. They're allowing our, you know, what we did either as kids or younger adults or whatever, they are allowing our past to continually be accessed. And, you know, what, what kind of 
what price tag can you put on that? So, you know, I, I have no problem supporting these kinds of companies, uh, including Retrobit. And also, yeah, I, I'm this, I am so close to just pulling the trigger on, you know, on, uh, and getting my hands on the Sega, the Sega Genesis Mini because that game selection is great. And if I do find out, I'll tell you, okay, th- this is what will literally put me over the edge. If they find, if they come out and say that, yeah, we're, we're going to have this, you know, we're going to sell the accessory of the 32X and the Sega CD and whatever um, in America when you buy the Genesis Mini, if that happens, I'm buying. I'm buying because then then it really is about the visual flair of it as well. Then you really want to own the console just to even be able to look at it and to see that history, you know? So I, I'm excited for this. I think this is very interesting, and it's a lot of the right moves, and having the exclusive games on it also gets very interesting, uh, you know, and I, I really want to see how those turned out. I mean, hell, we might get, I mean, I know there's Tetris 99, but this might be the greatest edition of Tetris ever made. This might turn into a whole competitive thing. Who knows? Uh, so I'm intrigued to see this. We'll be keeping an eye on it, uh, certainly on the gaming grid. And if I do end up getting one, you know, I'll be doing a full review right here. So anyway, um, let's get into that. That's it for me. I want to get, get into, I am so excited for this, uh, because I love, let me tell you something. Zomia one, if you want your voice heard, I am happy to literally play your voice. And I'm really excited to get a review. I had, you know, great Zomia one executive producer reach out to me. It's like, I got the Oculus Quest. I could really get used to this. You know, he said he just, he was really digging it. And I said, you know what? what how do you feel about doing a review? You know, do do a review and 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 I'll put it into to the gaming grid. I love doing this. If you guys have stuff, you know, guys, gals, Z's, you got stuff you want to talk about and you want to record, you know, get your voice on one of the shows. I mean, if it's about a metal album, hell, I'll put you on Hard and Fast Podcast. I mean, you call it, but wherever. I, I, I'm so jazzed for this kind of thing. And, and the guy, I mean, just a great guy. And he's just like, yeah, it's like, I'll absolutely do it, you know? And, and he took care of it in, in really very, very short order. Um, so I'm going to cut to that to Jay curious Zomia one executive producer. And now pretty much the first guest on the gaming grid, uh, very honored to have him talking about it. And I will come back after his review, there's a little bit of an update to give, um, and then we'll close out the show. So anyway, my, my absolute thanks to, to Jay curious for this, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's cut to Jay. Greetings programs. My name is Jay. Brian asked me to do a little review on the Oculus quest. I picked up on launch day. Uh, I believe it was last Tuesday. I've been playing VR for uh, a while now. So I played it solidly for one year and then took a break, then came back. I had a Vive and a Rift simultaneously. I had them both set up simultaneously, and I ultimately sold both because I'm a very active VR player, and I found, even with the longer cable on the Vive, for example, I found just having a cable at all was becoming more of a hindrance and actually a danger sometimes because I would trip over it and fall or rip the headset off, and one time I broke a piece off of my Rift and in, in, in being too vigorous in my gameplay. So... I sold everything and resolved to wait for Gen 2 or some sort of wireless version. And, you know, that brings us to the Quest. And the Quest solves that problem very well. And yes, there are drawbacks. Yes, there are concessions you have to kind of uh, account for in your gaming experience when you purchase the Quest. But uh, just know right out the gate, I have no trouble recommending to anyone who has had experience with VR or doesn't has no experience with VR purchasing the 64 gigabyte model at $400. And I say that model specifically because if you're just going to be gaming or even just using a little bit for media storage, 64 gigabytes is plenty of space and it's not worth the extra hundred dollars to me to get the 128 model when I can just use that money towards games. Just to give you an example with all the games I have installed so far, I'm only using, uh, I still have available to me 40 gigabytes of storage. And um, if I do want to use it f- to watch media, I'm going to do it in my house and I can just stream all that via LAN, via my LAN, across using uh, Skybox VR or Big Screen, which are two little uh, media viewing apps you can download from the Oculus Store. So $400, definitely worth it. $500. Only really worth it if you're going to be a heavy media consumer 
and you are going to be traveling a lot and you need to have that media offline on device on the quest but outside that specific circumstance don't bother with the 128 gig model the weight of the device to get into the hardware review first the weight of the device is it's you can feel it it's 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 weighty you know compared to say say like the rift or whatever uh, or or like the Go, the Samsung Go, the Go VR, whatever they call it. But when you have it strapped onto your face and you have it yourself strapped in properly, the weight disappears. And and that's kind of the whole point of the Quest is the way it's designed with the controllers and everything, how small they are, you kind of just want that stuff to disappear, you know, as much as reasonably can be expected, you know, with current technology. And I think it achieves that pretty well. So once you get yourself strapped in, the weight kind of goes away and it stays in place even through vigorous gameplay. So just trust that once you figure out what's the right setup for your your noggin, you will you'll be good to go with that. Um, the optics, like the lenses themselves, are definitely an upgrade from the Rift and the Vive. They are higher fidelity, they are higher resolution. Text is sharper, you know, just in just in general, it's an overall improvement, and you can tell. I I wish the Quest itself was more uh, more of a powerhouse graphically, you know, had more uh, GPU power behind it. But you know, for a mobile uh, mobile platform, mobile gaming gaming platform, I think it does just fine. And we can just talk about the the graphics right now since we're talking about optics. Just walk into this knowing you're gaming on a mobile platform. They're using a Snapdragon 835 processor which was, I think, the flagship uh, mobile processor of 2017, I would have liked them to use the 845 processor because it's more efficient and slightly more powerful. Probably would have got better battery life out of it and extended the shelf life of the of the Quest itself. But given the purpose of the Quest, you know, get it out into people's hands at a reasonable cost that's competitive with the other gaming consoles, I think using the 835 is okay. You know, I would like to see something definitely more powerful in the next version. You know, temper your expectations accordingly and you will be good to go on that. Some games are going to look better than others, especially depending on the art style like Space Pirate Trainer, for example, on the PC looks great. You can still tell it's a little not refined graphically as well as it could be on the PC, but there's all that power overhead on the PC to you know, it doesn't matter so much. You can it looks fine. But on the Quest, it's 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 not what I would consider a great port, which is disappointing because it's such a fun game. So Space Pirate Trainer, the reason I bring that up during the Harbor review is because it's a good example of how a game could look if it's not properly or well done ported over versus something, say, like Beat Saber, which there are minor graphical differences in, in the PC version versus the Quest version, but it it's not really noticeable in game. In fact, I don't notice it at all. And I didn't even notice it until I saw comparisons with the PC version. So it, it just depends on the art style, how the game is developed and optimized and things like that. So just temper your expectations and try to look past it, enjoy the gameplay as much as you can. And look, if you're really a stickler about visuals, like, you know, I am, get the Rift, get the Rift S. And, you know, if you have the harbor, especially for a gaming rig, just get that. And, um, you know, we can talk about that in another segment, uh, the Rift S. I haven't gotten that yet, but I will eventually. But just know the quest itself for what it is, temper your expectations, you'll be you'll have a good time, I promise. The sound quality is decent. It's not where I would like it to be because I'm kind of an audio snob. And I don't like the fact that they didn't include earbuds in it, but they are going to offer earbuds, uh, I think, in another few weeks or so. But the good news is the Quest on both sides of, of the device, uh, you'll find a 3.5 mil audio jack. So you could use your own earbuds or, or you know, I some guy I uh, saw on Reddit, he <laughs> took his old Apple earbuds and tore them apart and put a 3.5 mil jack on each earbud. And then each earbud has its own connection to the Quest on either side. And you just have a short little cable. So that's what Oculus is going for. Some people are using these big ass cans. Uh, I can't do that because I'm very active. I sweat and I don't need more crap on my face, you know, during my active VR sessions. Visuals sound um, good to great for what it is. Um, and don't expect, you know, PC level visuals, ex unless you find a game, 
um, like Robo Recall, for example, you can tell was well optimized, and there's very little difference, in my opinion, graphically between the Quest version and the PC version. As far as the controllers themselves are concerned, they are smaller than the original Rift controllers. They feel just as nice, not as nice, I guess I should say, but nice enough that they will disappear in game. And what that means to those, for those of you that haven't played VR yet, is when you're in game, for example, you kind of want the controllers that you're using to manipulate the VR world to kind of be forgotten about. Like say, for example, the original Rift controllers were designed in such a way that they were their weight, the, 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 the tracking ring was underneath your hand, and you just forgot about them within a minute. Whereas like the Vive controllers, they're more like, you know, wands, and I never forgot about them. <laughs> I always knew I was holding something I kind of had to fiddle with a little bit. So uh, the, having the tracking ring on the Quest controllers is a little more ergonomically troublesome in the sense that anything that requires you to have your hands at your face, like a boxing game or a game that requires you to pull a bow back, you know, or, or your hand might be close to your chin or at your chin, you're going to have tracking problems. But other than that, tracking is excellent better than the original Rift, in my opinion. I'm not going to say it's better than the original Vive because the, the the lighthouse tracking technology, the Vive, I think, has always been superior to the Rift. But for inside-out tracking, the the Quest is damn near perfect. And that's fantastic because I you can get really crazy in some of these games, uh, especially if you really let yourself get into it. And you don't want your movements to not be detected because you're moving too fast. And so far in my experience and the experience of those I've seen push the tracking technology to its limit, it, it handles well. The only thing I really think it fails at is things close to your face. So just keep that in mind, you know, temper your expectations. Um, battery life, easy two hours. You might get three if you turn the Wi-Fi off and um, it's going to depend on what game you're playing. Uh, expect two hours at least. If you want more, grab a battery pack from Amazon or whatever and strap it to yourself somehow so it doesn't get in your way and you'll get more game time. I have not done that yet. I don't really think I'll need to. Just know that you can do that and it does work. As far as software-wise, I'll start with the question I think some of you might have is that you can sideload apps. You have to turn on developer mode. It's just an Android device, basically. So if you already know how to turn on developer mode and use ADB and all that crap, then go ahead and do it and just follow the instructions. But even if you do know how to do that, just follow the instructions to enable developer mode and use a program called SideQuest or Quest Sideloader on GitHub and just follow the, just look on the Reddit threads uh, on the Oculus Quest, specifically go into slash r slash Oculus Quest and just, you know, do some learning there. But if your intent is to sideload things right off the bat, like like Pavlov VR, which is a shooting game that's popular on the PC, that was available within days, and you have to sideload that. It works fine. I liked playing it. It was the first time I ever played it, and um, military shooters are not my thing. You know, fuck that. But it works fine, and sideloading works fine. You can put ES File Explorer on there. You can put web browsers on there, and I expect eventually Beat Saber will support, not officially, but via sideloading, will support custom songs and and things like that so walk into this knowing that there is some tweakability here and there is a strong development community around the quest um it's selling really well i don't know what the actual numbers are but i know it's selling really well in some places or even selling out of it uh the 64 model 64 gigabyte model especially i think we got a good one here in my opinion and just a general quick blurb about the software itself you have to have a mobile app to set it up and it's super fast. I had the mobile app downloaded and the Guardian system running within 10 minutes. And that's even factoring in the updates that were necessary for the Quest and the Quest controllers. And drawing the Guardian map, speaking of that, the Guardian system is just like a virtual fence around you so you know not to breach that wall because you, you know, you're probably going to run into a wall or punch your spouse in the face or something like that. So um, what's cool about that system is as soon as you put the headset on, you can see the outside world as like a black and gray or black and white haze. And you set up the boundary system just by drawing, holding the trigger button down on one of the controllers and just drawing it around the room. 
and it's super simple. And and if you if you walk through the virtual wall, the VR space disappears, and you can see see the quote unquote real world. So it's really neat, really handy. Some of you might be thinking to yourselves, well, does it work outside? Yes, but you have to be in heavy shade or heavy overcast, or the sun has to be kind of really low. Uh, low approaching sunset. You cannot do this in strong light. It, it over it overpowers the sensors. It can't pick up the tracking controllers. I've already tried it. It doesn't work, and you're going to run the risk of damaging the the lenses themselves. They're really sensitive to sunlight. So keep that in mind. A quick note on using it outside: if you turn on developer mode, you can disable the guardian boundary. And if you do that and play outside, you can run around without <laughs> running into really pro- any problems at all. Um, the tracking system built into the Quest and the Rift S is really nice, and you could, in theory, run around an entire VR space with no boundaries, and it's a really cool experience. Um, you can use it for fitness. It's really good for that. Beat Saber, Box VR, the the Creed boxing game, they're a really good workout. Um, I, I have no no tracking issues with those whatsoever. I highly recommend those those pieces of software. That's mostly what I use it for: is a Beat Saber box and Box VR. The Star Wars experience with the lightsaber and going through the story, definitely worth the 10 bucks. All in all, it is a good, it's a good buy. If you've got the cash, the $400, it doesn't matter if you have previous VR experience or not, I highly recommend just getting it and giving it a try. Worst case scenario, you just take it back and get your money back and just say it's not for you. And a second worst case scenario, it'll make you want to buy a full a full gaming PC and get an actual tethered headset for a more highly uh, better visual experience and things like that. But the Quest itself, temper your expectations for what it is. It's a mobile gaming platform. It is a VR gaming console. Keep that in mind and have fun. And I think you'll have a good time. See you in there. Yeah, you know, thank you again, Jay. Um, I, I really like... It won't be till later this year, probably. I definitely want to jump on an Oculus Quest. I'm a big fan of the headsets being independent and and not connected. I mean, Jay brings up some great points. You know, if you want that extra horsepower and everything to have them connected. But for the real future of anything that really I think you want, you know, that you want VR to do, um, you know, really having it be removed from. And, you know, there have been some some wireless headsets with some real horsepower like Sapphire and AMD. Remember, they were making certain ones that, I mean, it was a full-on computer, uh, you know, I mean, like with a full-on, like, AMD processor and everything. I, or Well, Intel was doing it, too. Yeah, see, there's been a lot of this, and some of this stuff went quiet, and I think they're basically, I can imagine a lot of the market is just seeing how, frankly, how the Oculus Quest is going to do. The Oculus Go, which I do have, was, you know, has been a success, I think, by just about any metric. Um, and the Oculus Quest is just the natural evolution of that. Uh, but anyway, I really appreciate Jay taking the time to, uh, to do that. He actually, he did send me an update after he recorded this, uh, particularly in reference to Beat Saber, which I know is one of the hottest games going for all of this. Um, it does now support, uh, custom quests, uh, and you can also, now you can, you can actually cast your, what you're doing on your quest, your play session, um, to, to your PC, but it has to be with supported apps, supported games and everything. Um, and streaming gameplay from your Steam VR, that, that, from Steam VR, that's still working. I think it's an alpha right now, uh, but really cool. I mean, especially the fact that this thing can sideload apps. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities with this. And keep in mind that the the way that John Carmack, the head of Oculus, the or well, one of the heads of Oculus, the way that he is thinking about the Oculus Quest is that it is competing with the Nintendo Switch. It's interesting. Again, he doesn't think he's competing with the PS4, or the Xbox One. He doesn't consider them really competition within the gaming space. He probably, in fact, I'll tell you. So as the the day that this gets released, in fact, maybe just a little bit before it gets released, we're going to get a lot of announcements from Google. There's going to be a major event about Google Stadia. I think that deserves to have its own episode. Um, also, I really want to do that episode and compare it to what, say, Retro Games Limited with the full-size C64 uh, are going to announce, because this is where, these are going to be the, this is the divergence of the gaming community, you know, into the retro, and then more into the cloud gaming. That's what you're going to have, is retro and cloud. I think, I really think, and and I've said this before on the gaming grid, but I think that, basically, the Xbox One and the PS4 
are they're they're going to go the way of the dodo or they're just going to end up copying which sony has already started doing and really microsoft is engaging in as well they're just going to copy what google stadia is doing but i think stadia is going to be out in front of a lot of this okay so for the quest to see their real competition as the switch you know this mobile gaming or this gaming that's like an all-in-one package right because the switch you can just you can play everything right on the switch you don't need a tv you don't need to connect anything and it's wireless basically um that that's where I think Carmack is coming from and why he sees things that way. So in some ways you're going to have like three different markets, uh, within gaming, but well, anyway, we're going to keep an eye on it in the gaming gaming grid and, and see where all of this uh, shapes up. But I am excited for the Oculus Quest. Um, like I said, maybe I'll add one to my wish list if you want to get me one. But otherwise, I'm not going to be jumping on it until uh, later this year. But I'm definitely uh, very excited about the Oculus Quest because I still rock my Oculus Go when I need to. So anyway, um, again, thanks to Jay Curious for that. Make sure you look him up on social media and get your hookup. Great guy. And, uh, well, we'll have more gaming grid coming out throughout June 2019. Uh, because there's a lot to talk about um, unless it's like the last day of June that I finally get some of these updates maybe then it'll come out on July 1st I don't know but anyway we're supposed to be getting a lot of updates on a lot of things of course E3 uh, is happening this month so we're going to have to talk about some of that so another episode of the gaming grid will be coming uh, in June to cover all of that news so anyway that's it for this episode make sure you're subscribed on Zomia 1 so many great shows to listen to on Zomia 1 I will see all of you on the other side gaming grid signing off baby game over